you know, it's about making personal choices. Um, there is such a movement, I think, around things that are made in Africa. I think we're all proud when we see them, when they're, especially when they're of great quality. You know, we, we have that pride about the continent, and rightly so. Um, but not a lot of people make the leap between being proud of made in Africa and actually consume made in Africa, especially for the middle class, upper class, people who have the, the means to purchase things from outside of the continent. There's still a tendency to do so. There's still an association that that which comes from outside the continent superior in quality and so I challenge that and I think people just need to make different personal choices about their consumption pattern. Another week, another episode, um, you know, we get to enjoy the gems of knowledge that are dropped here every week by every single individual that's been a part of this um, podcast episodes. Uh, this is the AOU Podcast Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa. Today's guest is a woman in power, a boss lady in power. And her name is Elizabeth, and she's a development professional, leader, and lifter of people. She says joy is her superpower. Uh, she has 20 years of experience working in Africa, born and raised in Cameroon, educated in the US. She traveled the world extensively and worked in more than half of African countries. And She's gained a considerable understanding of the African continent and has a unique perspective on opportunities it presents, and hence her being perfect for this episode. So in her current role as CEO of Junior Achievement Africa, she works with young people across Africa in shaping their futures and the future of a continent. And she's very committed to development, especially for women and youth in Africa, where she believes that three things, choices, voices, and opportunities are key to changing the trajectory of development, sorry, of the continent. So I'd just like to give a warm welcome to Elizabeth and, you know, um, maybe she can further introduce herself, but let's, let's, let's get into the episode for today. So please tell us more about yourself and how you got to know about AOU. Um, so I, uh, was born and raised in Cameroon, okay. uh, moved to the U S and, uh, when I was 16 years old, um, I moved to the U S for university, um, partly because my dad was teaching there at the time. So it was sort of, um, the, I guess the best decision my parents made for me. It wasn't really my decision. <laughs> um, and then I went to school in the U S, um, I did my undergrad in international relations with a minor in African studies. And then I went on to do my master's degree in African studies um, at Yale University in Connecticut. Um, And then after that, I just, I was very fortunate to start working in Africa. By then, you know, after a master's in African studies, my my love for Africa, my interest in Africa had just blossomed to this, you know, incredible curiosity. Um, as part of my undergrad program, I had to do an African language, incidentally studying African languages in the U.S. Right. Um, and I chose Swahili. And so I ended up um, after graduate school doing a fellowship in Zanzibar oh, uh, wow. for about three months in Swahili. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was one of the best experiences of my life, just, you know, experiencing a different culture. And that was my first foray into Africa. Um, outside of my own country and, you know, starting the starting of my realization that we are alike in so many ways and very different in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I, I was very fortunate to just start working. Um, I work, I've worked in the NGO sector now for 20 years in different organizations. Um, okay. And now I work at Junior Achievement in Ghana. 
Wow. Okay. So you have an interesting story. You were born and raised in Cameroon, um, educated and worked in the U.S., and then returned to Africa. Mm-hmm. What drove all these key decisions you right. made, and why'd you, why come back to Africa? Um, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, the, the decision to the move to, to move to the U.S. was not my own. That was my parents' decision. Right. Um, but I, you know, in hindsight, I think it was a good one, and I'm very fortunate to have had, um, you know, the education that I've had. Um, but the decision to come back to Africa was definitely mine. Um, you know, moving to the U.S. really did, I think, maybe because it was abrupt. Okay. Um, really um, elevated or my my interest in Africa. Um, and my curiosity around the continent. And also, I think, to give it some context, my dad um, was a, a professor of history, particularly African history. Okay. So that was sort of our thing that we bonded over, he and I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, I had those foundations, and I just sort of built on it. And by the time I finished grad school, I knew I wanted to work in nonprofits, and I knew I wanted to maintain that connection to Africa. Yeah. Um, so my first job, I was with an organization called Heifer International for 15 years. Okay. I started working there as an admin assistant, and by the time I left, I was the vice president for Africa programs. So I was constantly traveling to Africa from Little Rock, Arkansas, of all places, um, <laughs> which is, you know, in the middle of the U.S. It was long trips almost every month. I was, you know, in all the 12 countries that I had in my portfolio at the time. Yeah. Um, you couldn't tell me was that that was daunting fun and at exhausting. All. Do what? You couldn't tell me that that wasn't fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it was so much fun until I had kids and then it became a lot of work, right. um, <laughs> you know, yeah, traveling, you know, uh, breastfeeding, the whole bit was just, mm-hmm. it, it got to me finally. And that was ultimately, I think, why I, uh, why I quit that job. I just couldn't sustain that level of, of energy. Um, but it was a great job and it allowed me to um, really see all different parts of the continent, meet all kinds of people. And ultimately, by the time I, as I said, just couldn't sustain it anymore, it was very clear that the next step for me, instead of having my soul reside in Africa and having my body reside in the U.S., I just I wanted both things to be in the same place. And so I made the decision to to move back to Africa and, um, you know, really thought very closely about carefully about where I wanted to live. And, And Ghana was a country in all my travels at the time that I had just yeah. fallen so much in love with and knew I wanted to live here. So so when I quit my job, actually, I was I had a very narrow search. I was just looking to move to Ghana. Yeah. And as, as fate would have it, I was very fortunate to, to get this job at Junior Achievement and have been here for almost five years. Wow, you know, it excites me a lot when I hear people speak so passionately about wanting to come back home and feeling like, you know, their calling is where home is or, you know, just generally mm. in Africa and just... So to say, um, getting in touch with their roots, as a lot of people like to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, it's it's always. I mean, it, it's always been a very strong connection. And then it gets to a point. People ask me all the time about the decision to come back and how they would know and how they make that decision. And I just say to them, when the time comes, you will not be able to to hear or think about anything else until you do it, and you will know because. It will consume all of your energy. Exactly, you know, a, yeah. a connection with home is very strong. We were just talking about, you know, even a connection like with food, <laughs> you know, um, all of the things that, that, that draw us to home are so deep in who we are yeah. and you can't resist them when they, when they start hearkening to you. Right. Okay. So Junior Achievement for over a hundred years has delivered hands-on experiential learning in financial literacy 
work readiness and entrepreneurship in over 100 countries. Why do young Africans need this and how do you achieve this mission on the continent? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, for me, it was a really, you know, when I was looking at uh, taking this job, um, I was really drawn by the mission um, and the uh, breadth of need. Right. Um, I, you know, I knew when I wanted to come back to the continent, one of the things that, you know, having my conversations with God about what am I going to do next, I said, you know, I'd really like to work with youth um, because I, I wanted yeah. to do something that was future looking. Um, and in my view of what the future of this continent was is, um, you know, youth are just central to the dialogue, the change making, all of the different elements of it. Um, so coming back and, and having the opportunity to lead an organization that focused on that, that was attentive to the different and to the changing um, environment and circumstances of young people on this continent. We just were just finishing a survey with uh, mm -hmm. an organization, one of the big uh, global consulting firms. And one of the first um, results that we've gotten of it, we, we interviewed almost 3,000 young people around the continent is just the passion for entrepreneurship. It was something like 73% 70, of young people see their futures as being entrepreneurs as opposed to being employed, you know, for something else. And that's a significant shift from, you know, my parents' generation not so long ago where, you know, they all work for government, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then the generation after that where, you know, people just, everybody yeah. aspired to work for a large multinational company. And now to be in a time when, Young people want to work for themselves, and we're seeing this, you know, the, the, the environment, the ecosystem of creativity, of business, of entrepreneurship, of innovation on this continent is right. just tremendous, and I really wanted to be a part of that. So it's been a great honor um, to be a part of JA and, um, you know, just to watch the people, not just from a far perspective, but young people that I've gotten to know personally, that I've gotten to mentor personally you know, being a part of their journey and their story has just been great right. for me. Um, one question that I've always asked entrepreneurs when they come onto this podcast is, how were you able to share your vision and mission and have people care about it as well enough to support mm. your dreams? You know, that's a great one. Um, for me, um, you know, storytelling is one of the most powerful tools that we have on this continent. And I think as Africans, this is a bit cliche, but yes, I really do I think mean, Africans, we're, good at we're it. really good at it. You know, if you've never had an authentic African experience of sitting under yeah. a tree, listen to an old man talk about, you know, something that happened, you just, it's riveting. So I think we have that innate capacity. And I know I definitely have, I'm yes. such a storyteller, <laughs> you know, it's like start a conversation with me and you'll hear, you'll hear everything there is right. to say. Um, but I do think it's very, very important, especially for entrepreneurship, because, you know, for, for so long, um, the brand or the narrative of entrepreneurship on this continent was something that's very foreign. And even today, I still see it. A lot of young people, you know, you ask them what, who they think of as an entrepreneur. You know, the ones that I see very often are likely to be like Richard Branson, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg. You know, you, you wouldn't even hear, you wouldn't often hear, you know, uh, um, an African entrepreneur, uh, Chris Kirubi, uh, Aliko Dangote, you know, uh, Strive Masiwa. A lot of them don't know that. And I think it's partly because our African entrepreneurs yeah. aren't telling their story. Um, at least not as loudly as um, as the other, you know, entrepreneurs in other parts of the world are. And I think so that storytelling is very important. But I also, on the flip side, tell young people, you know, knowing how to tell your story, knowing how to share a vision with people is important. Um, but it isn't everything because, you know, one of the yeah. sort of anecdotes or metaphors that I say is, 
it's like building a house of your dreams, you know, or building of your dreams. Some people will see the blueprint on paper and they'll understand your vision and others will look at it and say, I don't get it. Some yeah. people you'll see the, you know, scaled down model of the house of the building and some people will get it and others won't. Mm -hmm. Some people mm -hmm. will see, you know, the prototype, all of these things. And even some people will see the building after it's been built and still not get it. So it's important to tell your story. It's important yeah. to share the vision, but know that some people won't always get it. And you have to be able to move toward that vision on your own and with the uh, partners and supporters that you have. And some of the most critical people in your life won't get it. I mean, we talk about, you know, parents. Parents are such a big part of this entrepreneurship conversation. And they don't always get it. All right. So speaking of storytelling, comprehension, and communication, um, junior, junior Achievement Africa has presence in 15 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa and has reached more than 250,000 youth each working year um, in 1,420 schools. Are there any success stories <laughs> across Africa you can share as a result of this mentorship? Mm. Um, gosh, there's so many success stories. You know, I think success stories are sort of what I live. Yeah. Um, and there's stories, you know, you know, I, th I think a lot of them are also success stories in the making. Um, right. cause we often count success by, you know, the seeds that have sprouted or by the harvest. Um, and success sometimes is the seeds that are being planted. And that's what I believe, you know, mm. it doesn't, for a lot of the young people we're working with, you know, some of them are still in primary school. Um, so we haven't yet begun to see what they're capable of or what they're going to do, but when you can see that there's a mindset change, you know, I've been in many classrooms all around this continent. When you can see the aha moment in the eyes of a child, you can right. just think, ah, <laughs> you know, it's coming. Just stand back world and watch what this child is going to do. Um, but in terms of the ones that I, I know and I'm close to, you know, so many success stories, just even I was thinking this morning, you know, who I want to talk about. You know, just in the ALU, ALA family, um, right. you know, we have so many of our, our uh, alumni who have gone on to these amazing institutions. I think of John Iwutu, who I believe is on your Mauritius campus, um, right. who is one of our alumni, a close friend of mine, you know, personal mentee, just an amazing young man who started a company at such a young age and, you know, is just doing really great things in the world, is winning awards left and right. Um, you know, I've gotten to see him speak on an international stage. He was um, the young person who was selected to speak on behalf of Africa at our centennial in Boston last year. Um, right. Really just tremendous to see everything he's doing. Um, you know, and I just kind of watch them like like a hawk, just, you know, they're like my babies. I'm <laughs> like, oh, wow, look at you go. Um, you know, and another student, um, ELA student, you know, Farai Monjoma from, mm, yeah, from Zimbabwe, he's, he's also, also a JA campus. alumnus. He is amazing. I mean, I just, I absolutely adore Farai. Um, you know, he's also created a company just doing tremendous things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm proud of them. You know, those are just two examples out of thousands across this continent. Um, you know, I think that's why uh, Junior Achievement's work is so important is it's really about changing the mindsets of people. And then once they have their mindset changed, giving them the tools to be able to make change happen in their lives for themselves, for their families, right. for their communities. And, and I think that that's how we, we change a country. You know, in many ways, we're still a continent of nation building um, or in, of nation builders. Um, and I really believe yeah. that, that, that that change um, in the reality of our continent, in the reputation of our continent is going to happen because of young people like these. Right. So you published an article on LinkedIn titled, Does Your Soap Really Need to Come from Europe? 
uh, why made in Africa <laughs> is not enough. Um, you noted mm-hmm. that made in Africa is necessarily not is necessary is necessary but not sufficient for success. Ultimate success must mm-hmm. be measured in terms of consumption in Africa by Africans. And then you finally concluded by saying, let us consume African. So how, how can we achieve yeah. this? Mm. Ooh. <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's about making personal choices. Um, right. You know, there is such a movement, I think, around um, things that are made in Africa. I think we're all proud when we see them, when they're, especially when they're of great quality. You know, we, we have that pride about the continent, and rightly so. Um, but not a lot of people make the leap between being proud of made in Africa and actually consume made in Africa. And right. I think especially for the middle class, upper class, people who have the, the means to purchase things from outside of the continent, yeah. um, there's still a tendency to do so. There's still an association that that which comes from outside the continent is superior in quality. And so I challenge that. Um, and I think people just need to make different personal choices about their consumption pattern. Right. Um, you know, there's a report that comes out every year around brand loyalty. And very seldom on that report do you see African brands as um, top brands that that, uh, we ourselves are loyal to. And I just think that that's a missed opportunity. We're one of the biggest um, demographic, most populated um, populations in the world. You know, we should be able to buy from ourselves. Um, You know, looking at this whole conversation that's happening right now about the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, I think it's something like 17% of trade that's happening within Africa compared to something in the 30s and certainly higher uh, in Europe. Um, so I just think it's 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 very missed opportunity, and especially for young people on the continent who are starting businesses, who are starting enterprises, who um, need capital to start and run those businesses. But more than yeah. that, they need customers right. to to buy their products, to buy their services. And I think that those of us who are fortunate to have the means to be able to do so should do so. We should make different choices. We should not just appreciate things that are made in Africa by looking at them and, and being proud in our hearts and smiling in our faces. We should put our money where our mouth is. Right. Support doesn't hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So speaking of challenges that we face um, with consuming African mm. products by Africans for Africans, you've traveled to 27 out of the 54 countries. Oh, I really wish I was you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what common trends or challenges are our entrepreneurs still facing and how has Junior Achievement Africa and its mm. partners helped to address this? Um, I think, you know, some of the main challenges, probably three things come to mind for me. Um, right. I think the biggest one is having for young people, the biggest challenge is having their ideas validated. Um, okay. And that's validated by their peers, validated by their parents, just even, you know, the idea of entrepreneurship there's still a generational gap between parents and their kids who, who want to pursue entrepreneurship. You know, parents need to be parents need to be more supportive of their children wanting to pursue that as a career option. Yeah. That validation is very important. I think anybody who has started a business or started anything really in this world, you need people around you who encourage you. Um, you need people who tell you that your idea is not crazy, you know, it's not crazy. (laughs) Um, it's very, very important. So I think that that personal network, um, interaction and validation is very important. Parental support is very important. You know, our parents, no matter how old we are, 
are still some of the most important stakeholders in my life. I'm in my mid forties and I still call my mother for every big decision, <laughs> you know, and I don't think that that ever goes away. Um, yeah. You know, so for something as big as entrepreneurship, I think it's important for parents to be supportive of that as a career pathway for, for um, their kids. Um, and then I also think the third thing is the ecosystem, the sort of policy and political you know, socioeconomic ecosystem within which we exist. Um, and we we know the stories of challenges in Africa. We know that there's, you know, uh, barriers to access for so many things that entrepreneurs need to be yeah. successful, whether it's capital, whether, you know, fi financing, all of it. Um, right. You know, even, you know, things like laws that allow somebody below the age of 18 to be able to open a bank account. You know, that yeah. can be a barrier for a young person. If you're 16 and you're wanting to start a bank, uh, uh, a business and you can't open a bank account, that's a significant barrier, um, you know, because you can't then take a loan, you can't do all these things. So I think um, those are some of the main challenges that, that exist for young people. But, you know, when you look at them, they're so easily overcomable. Yeah. Um, I just think we need to be intentional about, you know, making change happen to create a more, a more healthy um, ecosystem for, for young people, young entrepreneurs to thrive in. All right. So um, obviously, COVID-19, the pandemic has really disrupted the normal way of living and working. And, you know, our hearts go out Absolutely. to those who are um, um, at the front line of, you know, this whole pandemic. But how has uh, JA adapted mm. to these changes? And what is your advice to our budding entrepreneurs to adapt as well? Hmm, yes, COVID-19 has been a great disruptor. Um, it's very interesting for me to watch, um, you know, sort of the conversations around the disruption, around the effects and the impacts of the of the virus. And, the, you know, a lot of, we, I think we've all read the, the negatives of it. People are losing their lives, people are losing their livelihoods and so on and so forth. And it's really sad. Yeah. Um, you know, but interestingly, as with all, you know, big sort of tragedies, I think, as this one is, there's um there's always um the flip side right there there are opportunities to be gained um and i think for us one of the things that came out at ja is you know i think historically we've largely been a very sort of paper based organization our programs you know we printed on paper mm -hmm. um you know and delivered them you know uh, manually in person and so on and so forth and that limited us because there's a great need on the continent yeah. Um, and we weren't meeting that need in the orders that we needed to. So we this is forcing us to make the shift to digital. We knew that we needed to make it. Um, we had started sort of tiptoeing in that direction, but um, COVID-19 has forced us to run in that direction. Um, and I think the same is true for so many organizations, whether they be nonprofits or, or private um, or even government. You know, how do we deliver services to people in mass um, without needing other people to be mobilized to be able to do that. These are questions I think that, that we're all being uh, faced with. Um, but I also think the other opportunities that are emerging, especially for Africa, for, for young entrepreneurs in Africa, is that, you know, because of the disruption that happened in the supply chains of so many of our uh, goods and services, yeah. um, you know, we really had to jump in um, and fill our own gaps, I think, in a way that in, in sort of normal times, we would have been turning to the outside um, to provide those things. You know, I was just reading this morning about two young um, innovators in South Africa who have come up with a test 
for COVID-19, very young people. I mean, I looked at their faces and I thought, my gosh, they're, they're still in their 20s. Come up with a test for COVID-19 that, you know, can uh, gives you results in, in an hour. I just think that's significant, you know. Yeah. And talk about African solutions to African problems. Senegal has come up with, you know, is testing large numbers of people, has a test that costs a dollar, you know, is sprinting respirators. Is that what they're called? <laughs> respirators, um, you know, with... Uh, 3D printers yeah. that cost something like $600 or $60 as opposed to one that would have come from abroad costing $16,000. So I think, yeah. you know, these are the opportunities for us. These times are forcing us to say, listen, within this continent, we have what it takes to transcend our problems, um, to reverse the, 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 the uh, dangerous or negative trends that we've had as a continent. We need to dig deep and find those solutions for ourselves. Um, you know, these are sort of desperate times in, in many ways and the desperate measures, if we can find them and make them persist beyond the pandemic, beyond the crisis, I think we'll be heading in a different direction as a continent. Thank you so much for that. Um, you know, true to the people that we have on this podcast, especially um, women leaders, uh, I, I feel like you're an embodiment of, you know, boss ladies and women in power. Uh, you know, oh, you're a leader, oh, a lifter of people, and indeed, <laughs> joy is your superpower. On top of storytelling and, yes. you know, traveling, um, Junior Achievement has indeed lifted the hearts, goals, and ambitions of young students and entrepreneurs on the continent. So any ideas of what the next journey um, is after Junior Achievement? For me, yeah. yes. Um, so I am leaving Junior Achievement in June, which you know, is a, a ha you know, sad thing for me, happy in some ways, because yeah. I go on to find out what's next for me. <laughs> um, but sad, because, you know, it's an organization I've poured so much of myself into right. for almost five years and loved very much. Um, and part of my anxiety about what's next for me is, am I going to lose my connection to the continent? Am I going to lose mm -hmm. my connection to young people? Okay. Um, so as I'm, you know, praying and talking to God and doing all the things that I do when I'm in the change process, right. you know, putting out there the things that I would like, I don't know where I'm going next. I honestly don't. I haven't made any plans. You know, I tend to, this is sort of my MO when I leave a job is, you know, to give myself a good space. Yeah to recollect, regroup, recover from all the travel, you know, and just really find peace and quiet to be able to um, see what the next thing should be. So I don't know what it is, but I know what I'd like it to be is, um, and one of the key things for me is always making sure that no matter where I end up in the world, I still have a very strong connection to the continent. Right. Um, true to the topic so we'll of see. this, um, true to the topic of this podcast, uh, podcast episode, I believe that you've talked a lot about soft skills and being able to build a support system that can guide you through um, your journey throughout and, you know, being able to be centered because you've talked a lot about your spirituality or your spiritual journey rather, mm -hmm. and, you mm -hmm. know, just being grounded and sort of know where you're going. And even though you don't, mm -hmm. there's there's always something that that's able to guide you or someone that's able to guide you throughout the, um, throughout the process. And, you know, I really appreciate the little gems that you've dropped here. I mean, they have a really big impact and I do hope that they have the same impact Thank on the you. listeners as well. Thank you so much. It's my, really my pleasure and my honor. You know, I have very accidentally developed somewhat of a voice on this continent. Right. Um, and I, I don't take that lightly. I, um, you know, I feel the great responsibility um, for what I say and how I behave and all of the things. Um, and if I, my journey and my thoughts, any part, anything about me can teach somebody else, um, then I'm very honored by that. All right, then. Thank you so much for being with us today.
Thank you, Savannah. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you.